Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Thank you, Ms., for reading the scripture this morning. One way that we like to celebrate the diversity we have as a church and the diversity we long for to see our church reflect uh, our community is through uh, reading scripture in various languages. So thank you again for reading that. Uh, here at City on the Hill, we have three values, the gospel, community, and mission. The gospel is the good news that Jesus loves us. He gave his life for us on the cross, taking care of our sins in order that we could have a relationship with God. And so if you've not not trusted Jesus, if you've not entered into that relationship, we'd love to talk with you about that. You can fill out that connect card and, uh, and just mention on there that you want to talk to a pastor about Jesus. Um, also, a community. Community is our second value. And uh, community is really the idea that we are built for relationships and that they are best formed around Jesus. And so we get together in community groups to love one another, care for one another, as well as point each other to Christ. And then mission. We believe what God has done for us um, should be spread to other people. People, through the way that we live and through the words that we speak, that the entire earth would be filled with his glory and the people would glorify and know him. A couple of things I want to make you aware of. Coming up on Wednesday, December 2nd, we are going to have a QA. and uh, We're going to have a Q&A around the topic of the Bible. So if you've been at, wondering questions like, can I trust the Bible? What's the Bible about? That one weird verse, what does that possibly mean? Text us at, at 617-286-2006. Sign up for the Q&A through our event page on our website, coaforesthills.org slash events, and be a part of that. This is a great chance for you to ask questions. The, all questions are private, and, uh, and we'll spend some time unpacking those questions for you. And then secondly is our next in-person service. It is tentatively scheduled for um, De- uh, December 8th. And so we are holding on to that um, um, we're holding on to that day. I'm sorry, not December 8th, December 13th. I got my, my dates mixed up there. Um, December 13th. And uh, we're, ho- we're we're looking at that. We want to do it, but we're obviously watching uh, COVID numbers. And so we're going to uh, go through that wisely. But please do go ahead and register as if it's going to happen. And you can do that um, as well through our event page on the website. Now, 2020, speaking of COVID, 2020 has been a long decade. Um, It has been a really, really long year. It feels like every day is the same, and it feels like it is constantly stretching out into the longest year in human history. And we have been in the over the majority of this year under the the regulations of a pandemic. And the first couple of weeks of the whole COVID pandemic kind of felt like eternal vacation. Uh, We were just spending time. We're working at home. This is the dream. We we don't have to go to work. We don't have to leave our homes. We might have run out of toilet paper but we don't have to go anywhere. And so we would switch from our, you know, our work sweatpants into our leisure sweatpants as if there was a difference. But that got old real quick. Uh, That got old really quick after about two or three weeks. And then we kind of uh, got into just some restless energy. So we were trying to find different ways to get that energy out, like playing games together over Zoom, which lasted about another two weeks. And so for myself, I just kind of started trying to turn that restless energy into new skills. So, and, and I learned to cook and made some really great spaghetti sauce. I bought a bike and started biking around my neighborhood. Um, and, but all of that just kind of over time began to wear off. And all of us have been trying to find ways to keep ourselves sane um, <clears throat> during the middle of this pandemic. But if there's one word that probably describes how most, if not all of us are feeling is anxious. We feel 
anxious. And some of us, it may just be kind of this low-grade restlessness, but there's a fear and an anxiety in this season, particularly around COVID-19, that all of us are feeling. But what COVID has done is it didn't create a lot of that problem. It actually exposed it. It exposed our proclivity towards anxiety and the way that anxiety spreads through us as people. Tony Evans, um, incredible commentary on how anxiety is connected to the virus. He says, the virus is not the only thing that transfers quickly. Our anxiety, worry, and fear is outpacing the problem of the virus because it's consumed because uh, it's consumed the mind, the heart, the energy, and the emotions of ourselves, our families, the whole nation, and even the world. As we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's really been centered around the idea that Jesus is our King and He came to establish a kingdom. And Jesus came to establish a kingdom where, where there would be no anxiety, where there would be no fear. And that's why Jesus tells us here at the end of uh, Matthew chapter six, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. But why would Jesus tell us do not be anxious? Because he knows we're gonna be anxious. Jesus knows our hearts. It's kind of like if you ever tell someone, hey, I need to tell you something, but don't be mad. You say don't be mad because you know the person's going to be mad at you. Jesus tells us do not be anxious because he knows we're going to get anxious. See, the Bible is, is timeless. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is true. It transcends time and culture. And it's as if Jesus wrote these words for 2020. It's as if he knew in our hearts in this season, we would be struggling with anxiety because we're anxious people. Over 40 million Americans have been diagnosed with clinical anxiety. That's 18% of our population. And most of us, even if we're not, we're not struggling clinically, we struggle with a deep-seated worry. Is there gonna be enough money? Am I gonna catch the coronavirus if I go out in public? Are my kids gonna be okay through virtual learning? Am I gonna be okay if I'm isolated and alone? We feel this worry and anxiety in our souls, but Jesus came to establish a kingdom that frees you from anxiety. And that's why remembering Jesus as king is vital. He is the king over all things. He is the king over big and small. He is the king over external and internal. He is the king over our fears. He is the king over the coronavirus. He is the king over the entire world world. And he is a king who came to take away our worry. And he came to take away our worry, not by saying, hey, suck it up. He didn't say, try harder. He didn't say, just stop it. Like the old mad TV skit with, with Bob Newhart. If you've never seen that, Bob Newhart plays this counselor. A woman comes into him and says that she's deathly afraid of being buried alive in a box. And so his way of dealing with her is just to say, stop it. Just, just stop it. And she's completely blown away by this advice, but he's like, you know, she's amazed that anybody would, would be amazed with those two words, stop it. But that's not what Jesus is saying to us here. He's not saying just get it together. He's not saying just stop being anxious. This is a gentle and gracious invitation to rest in Christ. You don't have to be anxious. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Are you feeling the burden, the heavy ladenness of anxiety? Jesus wants to carry that for you. So let's dig into Jesus's answer to anxiety. And the first question we have to answer is this, what is anxiety? What is anxiety? In the text here, Jesus says that our anxiety tends to be around our basic needs and our basic provisions. He gives the examples of food and drink and the clothing that we put on our body. Again, back in this day, what you ate and what you drank was about daily provision and you weren't sure where it was going to come from. You couldn't go to the corner store. You couldn't just go to Gap and grab a hoodie. Like you had to work for these things. And there was a lot of worry around the idea of your daily provision. It's something that you wanted to be in control of and you didn't want it to be uncertain. And so what is anxiety? Anxiety, if we boil it down, is the desire to be in control when you don't feel like you're in control. It's the desire to be in control of things you don't actually have control of over situations, over relationships, over our circumstances, or the outcomes of the trials and the tribulations of our life. And so Jesus says, do not be anxious about these things. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or the clothing that you wear. So is Jesus just saying like, hey, go through life carefree. Don't plan anything. It's just like YOLO. Like that's what, is that what Jesus is saying? No. In fact, in verse 32, Jesus says, the father knows what you need. The father knows, he knows that you need these things. It's wise to plan. But the problem is, is when you begin to fret and worry in a way where you become fixated on something other than Christ. When you feel out of control and you, what what do we do when we feel out of control? We grab for more control. And what happens when we grab for more control of something that we can't control? We just feel more anxious. We feel this anxiety in our soul. And so anxiety reveals our trust is in something other than God. And so if you connect this idea to the rest of chapter six, if you're, if you're seeking the approval of others, if you're greedy with your money, if, if you're trying to keep it all together by being a good person to make God or others love you, it's just gonna cause you to be anxious. It's going to cause deeper anxiety because you're constantly shooting at a moving target instead of the steadfast love of God. Those things can never be enough. So what it does, anxiety reveals that our trust is in something other than God that we are looking to, to steady our life, to give us safety, to give us rest. That's why anxiety has been described as temporary atheism. It's a temporary unbelief in the promises of God. And anxiety can be so deceptive. We often can't see how it affects us. And it affects us in such a way that it turns the table and makes us feel really bad about ourselves. If I was just a better Christian, I wouldn't be anxious. If I was a better follower of Jesus, I wouldn't do this. And we beat ourselves up. And this is the way Satan uses this. And it's a way that Satan attacks us. I love the way John Piper describes this. He says, when anxiety strikes, this doesn't mean that we're faithless. It means our faith is being attacked. Anxiety is an attack on your belief in the sufficiency of God to provide for you, both materially and spiritually. 
that he is not enough. And so we have to know what drives anxiety. We have to know where the attack is coming from because you are in a fight when it comes to anxiety. You're in a fight when it comes to anxiety, a fight against the desire to be in control, a fight for your joy, a fight for where you rest. So secondly, we need to answer the question, what drives anxiety? I'm gonna borrow a couple of, uh, of, of categories here from Tim Keller. He says, anxiety is driven by two things, wrong thinking and wrong priorities. Wrong thinking and wrong priorities. So let's, let's look at wrong thinking first. Jesus is saying there's a wrong way to think about the basic provisions of life. It's a way of preoccupying yourself. It's a type of worry. It's, it's a hand-wringing uh, where we try to kind of will ourselves to make something happen. And it takes our focus off of God onto those things. So those things become ultimate and not God and his ability to provide. In fact, anxiety isn't actually even thinking. When you're anxious, you're not thinking. Now, you might be saying to yourself, when you're laying there at 2 a.m. and your mind is racing and all these voices are in your head, you might be saying, you know what, I can't stop thinking. But when we really think about what thinking is, anxiety doesn't live up to the definition. It may feel that way, but anxiety is really like running in place. It is useless energy. It's not getting you anywhere. Anxiety falls short of really thinking through what your heart is telling you and what your heart is longing for. And so Jesus calls us to stop and to think. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. He says something very similar in verse 28. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. He also talks about the grass of the field in verse 30, which is uh, today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. And so he, he says, you need to stop. You need to look. You need to consider. You need to think. It's consciously drawing your eyes up from your circumstances and what's before you and looking to the Lord. And here he says, look to creation itself, which reveals the glory of God. Let it be your teacher. Look at the birds going about doing what birds do. See how God provides for them. Look at the flowers and the grass and how God clothes them and how they're arrayed better than Solomon. Listen, Solomon was a baller. Like, I don't think they had a Hebrew phrase for baller, but he was a baller. Let me explain how much Samson, I mean, I'm sorry, Samson, Solomon had. Solomon was given a tribute of 25 tons of gold every year for 39 years. Solomon is the richest person in human history and in today's dollars would have been worth $2.2 trillion dollars. That dude could buy as many Jordans or fur coats or gold necklaces or whatever he wanted. And God, and Jesus says that God arrays the flowers of the field better than that guy. We have to change the way that we think. Jesus says, consider the birds, the lilies, the grass. He says, consider these things because you're of greater value than them. If, if God provides for them, won't he provide for you? Because God loves to adorn. 
He, just like he loves to adorn the flowers with splendor and beauty, he does the same thing for us. And in fact, the Bible describes God adorning his people in several different ways. In one place, it says that God adorns his people with salvation. In another, it says he adorns them with grace. In another, it says that he adorns his people with splendor, that we put on the righteousness of Christ, that we will be given a crown of glory to wear. God revels in us and adorns us with these things because he loves us and he provides for us. It's a certainty, but see, anxiety is fueled by what if. What if I lose my job? What if my company goes under? What if I get sick? What if I, what if I lose a family member? What if this pandemic lasts a lot longer than I want it to? And what it begins to do is it creates a false narrative in our minds about ourselves, about others, and about the world. And it, anxiety causes us to think about things that we're really not in control of. And we strive with everything we have in order to take control of it. And in, just like it says in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? The picture here that we're, is the word cubit. It can also mean height. I imagine it like a really short person straining as much as they possibly can to grow an inch taller. It's fruitless. It's useless. Jesus says, stop, consider, think about God's love for you. Why does he tell us to do that? Because we forget. The people of Israel are the perfect example of our relationship to God. They were constantly being reminded of who God is. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, who did what? Who delivered you out of slavery in Egypt. Why? Because they constantly forgot. They had to be reminded that he had provided for them before and he would provide for them again. Or as an old black preacher would say, won't he do it? Like that is, he did it and he'll do it again. Consider what Jesus has done for you, that he died to make you his own, to bring you into God's family, that he would never leave you nor forsake you. That he promised he would always be there. And so looking to Jesus, changing our thinking is the end of anxiety. Or as Philippians 4, 8, and 9 tell us, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Focusing on the promises of God creates a new narrative. And we need it when we're anxious about stepping out into that new venture. We need that when we're anxious about feeling useless or feeling weak or we're facing a big decision or the uncertainty of life or we're facing opposition or we face sickness or health or death. We see the faithfulness of God. And so, he, so we see how he provides all that we need for life and godliness. We have to change the way we think. Secondly, wrong priorities. Anxiety is driven by these wrong priorities that what you believe directs how you live. Wrong thinking leads to wrong priorities. And we see this in verse 32. Uh, Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. 
The, the distinction here is, is not ethnic, it's spiritual. It's those who don't know God, they don't trust God, and they seek after their basic provisions to have what they need on their own. They worry about themselves because they're the only people they think can actually get it for themselves. So what he's saying is, is when you have anxiety and a fixation on the problems of life, you're living like them. You're living like God is not in control. Because if it's all up to you, of course you're going to be anxious. If, if the only way to secure your safety and your rest and your peace, your provision is by what you can do, of course you're going to feel worried. Because worrying is all about me. It's all about myself. But Jesus knows the ins and the outs of anxiety, the heaviness that it brings better than you do. He knew you'd face this. The other reason that Jesus says, do not be anxious is because he can actually deal with your anxiety. You can actually be a non-anxious person who's at peace. And so what Jesus tells us in verse 33 is that what if your good could come from looking away from yourself? Away from your own self-interest because anxiety says to look inward. It looks selfward, my wealth, my comfort, my provision. But verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means to look away. See the flowers, see the lilies, see the birds. How much more does he love you? Because he's faithful to provide for you, be preoccupied with the kingdom have a heart that longs after God's reign over everything. Be fixated on what gives God glory first and Jesus will work in your soul. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. We never get, say, even the sensual pleasure of food at its best when we are being greedy. Look to and seek the kingdom first. And this is the real solution to our problems. Because what we often think is we think the problem is out there and the solution's in here. The problem is all the things swirling around my life that are causing me to be anxious. But what Jesus says is it's your soul. And if you'll look away from yourself, if you'll look to the kingdom with a submitted life to Christ, maybe he has your good in mind. As you seek his righteousness, to live in light of his kingdom. What did Jesus say? He said, he said to, to fulfill the whole law, to love the Lord your God, seek the kingdom first, and love your neighbor as yourself. To seek his righteousness, to live in an ethical way for the good of others. And when we do this, it reorders what we love. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 say, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We need new thinking. We need to look and consider a new gospel narrative. We need to fix our hearts and fix our gaze on Jesus and his cross that all that has separated us from God has been taken care of. We need a new priority that we orient our hearts to Jesus and to his kingdom, to his will, to his glory. And when you do this, something incredible happens. 
Lastly, let's look at what seeking the kingdom allows you to do. Verse 34, it says, therefore. So again, when we see the word therefore, look at what just was, was, what was just said. It says, because you've been provided for as you seek the kingdom of God first, don't be anxious. Again, this is the third time that's being said. This time, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Let tomorrow be anxious for itself. This isn't tucking your head in the sand. This isn't fatalism saying whatever happens tomorrow happens. You know, tomorrow and its problems don't go away, but how you face it changes when you trust the Lord. How you face tomorrow changes when you trust the Lord because you believe that God has tomorrow in his hands. And so today with his own troubles, Jesus reminds us that he has given us grace that is sufficient to get us through today. And this is actually hopeful because Jesus will get us through today and those mercies are new tomorrow. Lamentations 3, there's this beautiful image that Lamentations is built like a pyramid. And if you read everything outside of chapter 3, it looks really, really bad. There's all this lament and this sorrow, but sitting at the top of this pyramid is this beautiful passage, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You could almost say that in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of a worrisome life, the Lord is steadfast and his mercy is new. If there were two words we could use to best describe the Lord, I think they would be this, steadfast and faithful. He's unmoving, he's unshakable, and he will always provide. And so because through Jesus, your past has been dealt with at the cross, that Jesus paid for every sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit. And because your future is secure with him, what this allows us to do is face today. It allows us to seek the kingdom of God. And in in doing so, it allows us to be faithfully present with God and others. It allows us to live present, to live for today. Because when you're anxious, all you can really do is look at your own life because you're looking either at your past or you're looking at the future. I had a friend who was in the Air Force and he said when he was in the Air Force, they would be eating dinner together in the mess hall and they were not allowed to look to their sides. Even if someone talked to them, they had to look straight ahead. He said it seemed really weird until he got into into a fighter jet. And what he said he began to notice was that his peripheral vision started moving beyond where it was before. And so he could actually look straight ahead. And before he knew it, he could look at past 180 degrees by looking straight ahead and he could see everything around him. See, this is what fixing our eyes on Jesus and seeking his kingdom does. It broadens our vision because looking at Jesus allows us to see our own lives in perspective but it also allows us to see the lives of others. See, you can't serve others if you only see your problems. And this is why community matters. This is why being in a community group matters because it's an opportunity to know others and to be known by others. It's an opportunity to love and be loved by others. It's an opportunity to serve and be served by others that when you're struggling, there's someone there who you can borrow their faith. And when they're struggling, you can be there for them and love them and serve them and be present today and remind them of God's mercy. Another way that we can live present for today, being a non-anxious presence before others is how our neighbors see us in this season. 
We have the opportunity to model peace and dependence upon the Lord in a way that is unique and special. We should be concerned, but we should be concerned in a way that looks different. You can be concerned, but also be at peace. We should be serious about the coronavirus. We should be serious about doing so because that's loving our neighbors. But what would it look like for you to do as someone who's focused on today, who's not anxious? I guarantee that it would give you an opportunity to defend the hope that is within you. Because our tendency is to hunker down. Our tendency is to hide away. Our tendency is to worry like those who have no hope. But what would it look like if we kept serving? What would it look like if we were a church that kept hoping in the middle of anxiousness and brokenness? What would it look like for us to keep pursuing our neighbors? In doing so, we would look a lot like Jesus because this is what Jesus did for us. He came to serve us, not to be served. He faced anxious moments with peace because of his intimacy with the Father. And he pursued us that we could find peace in him. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus and have you received the peace that he promises? If not, we would love to talk with you about that. Send us a message, fill out a connect card. We'd love to follow up with you. Maybe this morning you're feeling anxious. Maybe you struggle with anxiety, even on a clinical level. Know this, Jesus is with you and he loves you. Even in your weakest moments, the call here is not to suck it up, but to depend upon Christ, to long after him, to come and to find rest in the Lord. Let's pray.